We're rolling. Welcome to the House Dudes Podcast, where we invite you to follow us on our journey towards financial freedom using the power of real estate. I'm Jack Haas. And I'm Josh Koth. Here at House Dudes, we believe in a couple key principles. Number one, the best way to retain information is by teaching it to others. And number two, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're not competitors, we're a community. So let's get into some real estate investing. Well, we have kind of a, a different topic here tonight that we haven't talked about in quite a while. And we have Josh Plave, who is an expert in self-directed retirement accounts. But Je- Je- Josh, you really have some other uh, interesting background that has been different from some of our other guests who have talked about self-directing IRA because you've also done some multifamily syndications that uh, I think we're going to kind of deep dive into here as well. But I really appreciate you being on the show and kind of talking us through some of this and getting into the weeds. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jack. I love uh, getting into the weeds here. So before we start things off, I want to make sure that everybody has your contact information because sometimes we kind of get really into this and the conversation rolls and I want to make sure that everybody has a way to get a hold of you. So make sure everybody bookmarks wall2main.com. That's W-A-L-L-T-O-M-A-I-N.com to get some of the information there. But where else can they find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me uh, at josh at waltamain.com um, on Facebook, Instagram, um, and you can even call me at uh, 240-620-3380. Well, that is very brave to give out a phone number. I'm just going to warn you. <laughs> I'm always happy to talk to investors <laughs> about their, their, uh, ex- their current situation. So, well, I'm just going to, we're going to start with a very like generic broad topic and uh, put you on the spot. So first of all, we have a lot of newer listeners that listen to this show and they're going to ask themselves, what is a self-directed IRA? Yeah. So it's, uh, once you kind of learn about it, it's actually fairly simple. Uh, essentially, you many people have an IRA or a 401k and the way it's currently held is at um, a custodian. You know, it's at a Schwab, Vanguard, Fidelity type of a place. And what those type of uh, custodians do, they, they're set up to, to trade with equities uh, in stocks, bonds, um, mutual funds, things like that. And all a self-directed IRA is, is uh, it's a fancy way to say it's at a different custodian, allowing you to invest in things that aren't stocks, bonds, and, and mutual funds. You can invest in really anything you'd like. Um, there's very little restriction on it. Um, you just can't invest in things like collectibles, like art jewelry or cars, mm-hmm. um, in life insurance, or in shares in S corporations. So it's just a different vehicle that allows you to invest in real estate, gold and crypto, things like that. Sure. So when you're investing in real estate, for example, are there any restrictions or requirements associated with that type of transaction? Um, yeah. So there, there are things, uh, there's a two different topics that we should talk about. There are, we'll talk about prohibited transactions. So when it comes to a retirement account, you cannot, I like to think of it like it's a totally different person. Um, And what I mean by that is that you really can't have any interaction with your retirement account. So if I was to buy a rental property, 
I couldn't go rent from it. I couldn't live in that property. Um, you can't buy a vacation house and occasionally visit it, um, even if it's for free, uh, because you're gaining some direct benefit from the actions of your retirement account. So you can't gain any benefits of what your retirement account is able to get into. And then your retirement account cannot, can't actually gain any benefit from you as well. So you can't actively be involved. Let's say um, you purchase a property that needs to be flipped. Um, you can't actually go in and swing a hammer. That's called sweat equity. Um, you can't apply any of your own um, expertise or construction experience into it. Um, you can GC it. You can actively, you know, manage the property, but you can't. Um, you can't actually work on it yourself and provide any uh, an ex experience that way. So as long as other people are working on it uh, and you're kind of just supplying the funds, um, that's fine. Um, and the other situation we need to talk about is. Uh, disqualified persons. These are people that your uh, retirement account can't actually do any kind of uh, investing with. And so a disqualified person would be anyone who's a linear ascendant or descendant. And what this means is your parents and your grandparents going up and then down, that means your children and your grandchildren. Uh, this also includes spouses at any level. So your own spouse, uh, your children's spouse, your son-in-law, daughter-in-law, uh, things like that. Um, brothers and sisters are all right. Aunts, uncles, and cousins are perfectly fine. Um, and there's, so it's pretty restrictive. Uh, if you get involved in a, a transaction with any of these people, you need to try to wind back the transaction within the calendar year. Um, and that includes a 15% penalty. Uh, and if you don't, it actually totally nullifies the entire retirement account. So you need to be very careful about the kind of transactions you get involved in. Uh, luckily though, there is a nice kind of creative way to get around the disqualified person situation since, let's face it, the majority of people that many of us want to invest with uh, would be uh, family members, you know, close people that are, are, are people that are close to us. So um, what you can actually do is you can pool retirement funds together. So let's say that me and my wife both want to get involved in an investment together. Um, I can't put in my retirement account while she puts in cash funds. But as long as we're both investing with retirement funds, you can actually mix those together because they're essentially different people. My spouse, she is a uh, disqualified person, but her retirement account is not. It's it's a totally separate entity. So um, this is actually what I've done with my family. Um, my, my sisters and I, uh, we all have different um, retirement accounts. And so we've actually pooled them together so that we can uh, invest in larger amounts together. We can meet investment minimums for commercial uh, syndications. Um, we can kind of all put in a less amount of money individually and still meet an, a minimum investment. Hmm. That is a different strategy than we've heard in the past, you know, the that concept. Um, so based on what you've said there, um, are there any additional benefits that like when you're pulling your money like that? So when it comes to direct benefits, it's essentially just um, being able to um, invest with people that you, you typically cannot get involved with. Um, I know, you know, I, I have a larger, because I started, I opened my first Roth IRA when I was 16 years old. So I've actually got it to a point where it's, it's fairly large for my age. I'm only 30. Um, but my spouse uh, she started a little later. So 
she wouldn't be able to actually get involved in investing uh, with her retirement account just yet because it's, you know, it's it's a new newer account. Uh, you know, it's under fifteen twenty thousand dollars. So um, by pooling together, I can actually start to grow her retirement account at a faster rate than I typically would be able to because I'm using the power and leverage of myself and my sisters as well. If we are able to combine accounts, um, and like I mentioned earlier. Um, I do I do multifamily syndications, and the typical minimum investment in a, a syndication would be somewhere between, let's say, fifty and seventy five thousand dollars. So when I've invested with my sisters, um, I have two sisters, and so we each supply twenty five thousand dollars, and so it doesn't take as much of a hit uh, every time that we go to invest. But we're actually able to um, diversify even more broadly because we can get into more deals uh, at a lower late lower rate uh, on an individual level. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's go to that where people are going to be asking themselves now that they they basically have most of their retirement money locked in an existing account, whether it's IRA or 401ks. Is there a way for those people to participate in what you're talking about? Yeah. So, um, we'll we'll categorize this into two different categories. The first and easiest one is uh, with an old 401k or an old IRA from a past employer. Um, This is either held that, you know, at your past employer in their uh, current administrator, and you just need to ask for uh, control of it and, you know, roll it over to a new account, uh, or it's, you know, you have control over it. And at that point, it's very easy to open up a self-directed account and transfer the funds over. Um, On the other side of things, if you have your funds still with the majority of your funds with an employer that you're currently with, that's a little trickier. Um, You need to have the account in your control to be able to do a self-directed rollover. So what needs to happen is your plan needs to actually allow for what's called an in-service rollover. Now, unfortunately, a lot of plans actually don't allow for an in-service rollover. So uh, a lot of the times for people like this, it's not necessarily possible. Um, But the nice thing is certain plans allow for it, as well as if you are closer to retirement age. I've I've seen that many uh, investors who are like 55 and over the plans, some of the plans are structured that they start to allow for them uh, to do in-service rollovers and take more control of their their dollars. So that's nice. Um, the nice thing is for 2020, we have a little bit of a change. Uh, the CARES Act actually came out and applied some changes directly for retirement accounts. Um, what they did was they they created this thing called the coronavirus-related distribution. And so this was actually modeled after the Hurricane Katrina um, provisions that they created um, mm-hmm. a few years ago. And so what you can do is if you feel that you have been um, adversely affected by coronavirus, and you can declare what's called a coronavirus-related distribution. And so if this is, um, if your money is held at a current employer's 401k, you can take out up to $100,000 from that 401k uh, and declare it as a coronavirus-related distribution. And when it's out of the account, you can do one of two things. The first one is you can actually just take it as income and you don't have to um, you know, have it in a retirement account anymore. And that income, um, the nice thing is you don't have the early withdrawal penalty fee. There's usually, mm-hmm. a, I believe, a 15% early withdrawal penalty fee. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you split it up over three years. So the income tax, let's say if the income tax is supposed to be $30,000, you actually pay 10 in um, 2020, 2021, and 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that you can do when you have the money is you can actually move it over into another qualified retirement plan. And that includes things like IRAs, a solo 401k you've established, any other plan that you have 
Um, and it doesn't have to be established before you do this. You can establish it after you have the money. Uh, you don't end up paying any pen early penalty fee. You don't end up paying any income tax. And it's essentially a way for you to take money from your employee sponsored, employer sponsored 401k plan and move it over into a plan that you now control. Previously, you wouldn't have actually had any ability to touch that uh, money. Now, the only downside to this program that I'm finding with many investors is that the employer actually has to opt in. Uh, and so we're finding that many employers aren't opting in. Uh, it's worth giving your employer a, a call, checking with the administrator. You know, a lot of their cheaper rates that they're able to provide uh, for their funds come from, you know, establishing a, a 401k of a certain size, but, you know, across the entire employer. So they don't really want to give up a lot of the, the, the funds that are held with them, uh, but some are, are opting in and allowing their employers to, or employees to take advantage of this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to just jump back just uh, one subject matter there. You were talking about pooling your money with with some of your siblings. It was, or, you know, for that matter, I guess it doesn't have to be those siblings. Is there like, do you have to create some sort of entity then that you're investing together in? Or how does that, how does that process work? Yeah. So uh, it, it really depends on um, what kind of investment you're doing. We did pool our, our funds together in a holding company. Uh, when you establish, um, I'm a huge advocate for checkbook controlled uh, IRAs. And so mm -hmm. what that essentially is, uh, is you open up a self-directed retirement account at a new custodian that supports, say, real estate. Um, and then you also, at the same time, open up an LLC. And mm -hmm. so the LLC ends up being the only investment that the IRA actually makes. So it buys 100% of the shares of that LLC. The nice thing now is that you actually have direct control over that LLC. You're the manager of that LLC and uh, you can choose the investments that it makes. And it's really quick. It's, it's cheap um, to establish. Uh, it's, it's the annual fees range between 125 and like $180. So it's very, the overhead to maintain is very low, um, but you now have direct control over it and you can just open up a normal checkbook account uh, or checking account and you can have uh, direct wire control. So what mm -hmm. we did was, we each have one of these LLCs established. Um, so we have a couple of different ones and then we created one large holding company and we dumped all of those together into that holding company uh, so that we can all um, kind of keep track of, well, and, and we keep track of you know who owns what, uh, what percentage of, of the entire holding company. And then we keep track of, uh, of what investments we're making and, and we're able to kind of work our way uh, forwards into the investment. And then when it, income comes back in, we can work it backwards into those original uh, IRA accounts. Sure. Well, you open the door now because, you know, we've heard that term checkbook control uh, a few times. We're going to, we're going to jump now into like some other terms that kind of float around what you're talking about. Yeah. One of them is UDFI. What, what's, what is that? Yeah. So when you, let's say this comes up uh, when you're investing in, um, leveraged uh, asset classes, we'll say. And so I, I am a multifamily syndicator. And so what we do is, you know, a group of, of folks come together and we buy, let's say 30, 40 people come together, we buy a large apartment building. And you obviously, you're going to do that with a bank. Um, you're going to bring in leverage from outside of your retirement account. So when the IRA was created um, back in like the 60s, they wanted to incentivize you to use tax deferred dollars. Um, when you're bringing in leverage, and you're allowed to bring in leverage, um, it, you have to use what's called non-recourse loans. And this is why I think that uh, commercial 
properties are actually really well tuned to retirement accounts because they require non-recourse loans and commercial properties almost exclusively use non-recourse loans. So they kind of just go hand in hand. Um, but when you do invest in a multifamily property uh, and there's outside funds coming in from a bank, um, the IRS is okay with that. But because they're non-tax deferred dollars, any income that is derived based off of those non-tax deferred dollars, you end up having to pay what's called UDFI. And this means uh, unrelated debt financed income. So the unrelated is, is you know, it's the bank's money. Uh, it's not related to your, your IRA. And mm-hmm. so what happens is, let's say you buy a property for 75% leverage, 25% down payment. Um, what happens in the first year is that 75% of the income that comes in from the property uh, into, your, uh, into your IRA is considered UDFI. And so you need to pay taxes on it. And the tax is called UBIT, Unrelated Business Income Tax. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing is because that portion um, that's getting taxed is somebody else's money, that somebody else's money can actually make use of depreciation and operating expenses and any other losses that come with the property. So there's kind of a misconception a lot of the times with IRAs that they can't use depreciation. Um, they can make use of it, uh, not entirely all of it, but you can use, you know, if it's 75% leverage for the, the current year, you can use it approximately 75% of all of the losses, which helps offset things. So what I did was, you know, a lot of people say, uh, you know, UBIT, if you invest in a leveraged property, UBIT's going to really uh, blow up your returns. They're going to, it's mm-hmm. going to really harm and damage what you're doing. And so I got really tired of people kind of giving these vague, um, you know, uh, ominous warnings about the, you know, the investments that you can make um, in, in a leveraged um, property. And so I went ahead and I actually built a UBIT calculator. And what this has shown is that because you're using depreciation and operating expenses and other losses, um, for the first, most multifamily properties last for about five years. And so for the first, let's say three to four, it really depends on the, the makeup of the property, but very consistently in the first three to four years, you don't actually end up paying any UBIT on cash flow. Um, it's a, a small amount that you're getting from cash flow, and so it's it's offset entirely by those losses. What you end up having to pay uh, in a, a more substantial amount is on the capital gains. And so the nice thing is, if there aren't really any capital gains, you're not really paying any taxes. The more capital gains there are, the more taxes you end up uh, paying. And so on a typical multifamily property, um, if over five years, let's say it's able to return 20% annually, um, we're seeing essentially about a three to 4% reduction annually in returns. And so in that last year, you do have to pay a fairly substantial amount. And I just want to clarify that amount comes out of the capital gains. So you don't really have to pay it yourself. You don't have to have any kind of like dry gunpowder sitting on the side, but uh, when you do have capital gains come in, you do have to pay a, a more sizable amount uh, on the, the gains. Um, but let's say if it's a 20% return, it brings it down to somewhere between a 16 and a 17% return annually. So uh, if you think that's still a good return, it's it's worth your while. If you think that you kind of don't want to deal with it and you want to go into a more passive avenue, that's, you know, it's fine too. But um, I was happy that I was able to kind of come up with that uh, solution and see exactly uh, what happens in, in a leveraged asset. And so uh, when I 
come up with a new uh, opportunity. Whenever I'm, I find a new opportunity, I provide my investors with the UBIT calculator. So not only do they get uh, you know, the projected earnings, but they also get the projected taxes for a retirement account as well. Sure. So if somebody was interested in finding that calculator, because I know that's what people are going to be looking for if they hear this, hear this episode, um, is that something you could maybe share? Yeah. So on my website, uh, on the header, one of the sections is a UBIT calculator. And I run you through what the calculator looks like. Um, it's, it's an Excel spreadsheet, essentially. And so it's, you know, stick with me. There's a lot of numbers and lines in there, but uh, everything has its place and it's, it's all well explained. Uh, and so I kind of run it through, run, run you through the, the, uh, the UBIT calculator itself. And then if um, people do sign up to be an investor with me, then I, I do provide it every time for each uh, new investment going forward. Sure. So if they head over to wall2main.com, that's where you're going to find that. And I'll make sure to include that link in the show notes. Yeah. So with everything that we've been talking about here right now, then what do you think is the more practical way to invest this capital? Like, okay, you have, let's say they've gone through this whole process. Now they got the, they got the checkbook control. Um, do they, what, what do they do with it? What, what do you, what would you recommend? Yeah. So what I, I honestly recommend what I ended up doing. I'm very happy with kind of, um, I don't really have any regrets with what the process that I went through when I established my account. So what I started with actually was private money loans. And so you need to find someone that you trust, but essentially what it is, is someone is flipping a house and you provide them with a loan. Uh, and because this is a purely passive activity, there are no, none of that UBIT that I was talking about. There's no leverage associated with it. And you just, you just get an interest rate. You just get paid a certain percentage that you establish with the, the with the lender. Um, and you, you know, uh, you can have some points up front and you can just, uh, have the uh, the interest uh, come back into your account. And so that's really nice. It's kind of a set it and forget it type of situation. It's extremely passive. Um, but what's really critical about that is you do find an operator who you trust. I happened to uh, bump into a friend who I actually knew. Uh, I live in Denver. I bumped into him at a meetup here. I didn't know he was into real estate. And it turns out he's deep into real estate. And he, uh, him and his childhood friend from kindergarten fix and flip um, buildings in Boston. And so I was able to look through their portfolio. I was able to kind of get a, I already knew who he was. I knew uh, I trusted him. And so if you find yourself in a position where you know the person and you're, you're happy and comfortable with providing them with, you know, a hundred, $200,000, significant amounts of capital uh, that you might have, then it's a great passive opportunity. Um, if you want a little more control and you kind of want to pick, uh, you know, with a more professional, um, a larger group of, of folks, I really like syndications. They're a great opportunity. Uh, I personally do multifamily. There's all kinds of syndications. There's self-storage and um, you know, commercial, industrial, stuff like that. So uh, those are great opportunities because they're, again, they're passive. You cannot actively manage a multifamily property. You can't be a general partner in a multifamily property and invest with your retirement account. Uh, but the nice thing is you can still be a limited partner. You can just put the money in and, and see cash flow come into your retirement account um, whenever distributions come out. So when you first started out, did you have any issues with some of these syndications um, with being accredited? You know, uh, because some of those syndications required being an accredited investor, don't they? 
Yeah. So um, I not so much. I, I found a group that specifically focused on 506B, which is able to focus on sophisticated investors. I personally am not an accredited investor yet. Uh, so it was it enabled me to kind of get more involved. You do have to do, you know, a little more um, homework. Um, you need to kind of go to more events and meet more people and see, uh, you know, who's out there, who you trust, and then also get to know them and, and find out about their track record uh, and, and see what they're looking for. And as you get to know them, you can actually get involved if you, you know, if you're sophisticated enough to make a, a clairvoyant decision on if this is a great you know investment for you or not, if it matches what your investing goals are. Uh, so once you meet that sophisticated level, uh, if you find the right group and you find the right um, the right sponsors, it's it's still just as, the opportunities are just as good as uh, for accredited. Sure. So let's let's uh, bring a little realism into this now. What would how how are you doing with with your personal investing when it comes to this type of thing? Like how is it comparing to like people dumping money in the stock market or um, I think that's one of the more interesting things that we just kind of blindly just trust that it's going to do something. Uh, This has got a bit more, this is a bit more transparent. You're you're likely going to know in more detail what's going on. Yeah. uh, You know, I've been doing a few podcasts lately and you're the first person who's actually asking this and I'm going to answer this honestly. I, when I decided to move everything from retirement accounts, uh, you know, in the stock market into real estate, what I did was because I had them all in stocks previously, I sold a portfolio. And what I did was I opened up a Yahoo portfolio at the same time, uh, you know, a fake portfolio. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I essentially bought all of the same funds at the same rate that I sold at. So I could keep track of what my gains would have been past that. Um, And since I sold, I, I'll admit, I if I was in stocks, I would have done better. Uh, you know, the stock market at this point is is pretty detached from the economic picture. Uh, valuations are pretty high compared to you know their their um, actual earnings. So, yes, I'm actually trailing uh, where I would have been in, in the stocks. Um, I'll be honest, but I'm very happy with where I'm at now because it's in a stable asset class. I don't know if, uh, you know, as stimulus dries up in the next few months, if they can't come to an agreement, who knows if the stock market is going to continue to climb? Um, you know, it's, it's being, in my opinion, essentially propped up by, um, you know, the, the Fed pumping money into the economy, which is what they need to do, but it's, it's resulting in some uh, inflated asset values. And so if I hadn't um, gotten into multifamily, I know my nerves would have been on, I would have been afraid a little more. I would have not had easy sleep at night. Um, being in an asset class that is a lot easier to, to kind of go to sleep at night and understand that somebody else, there's a team of people that are working on your investment that you can reach out to at any time and say, hey, I'm kind of concerned about everything that's going on with coronavirus. Are you able to lease up the property? What's going on? You can reach out to those sponsors and you can get a feel for what's going on with your investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so- you know, you might have a bit of, um, what is it called? Um, uh, buyer's remorse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looking back on what happened. But at the same time, I, I can't fault myself in the past for making a, a decision that would have ended up uh, maybe being the wrong one. But I guess I'm still happy with where I'm at right now. I'm I, With private money loans, uh, I'm making 15%. With, um, with, with multifamily, I'm making between 8 and 15% as well. And I'm happy with those returns. You know, if I can consistently pump those out for the rest of my life, I'm, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, I'm, you're the first person that I've run into that would have taken a moment and 
and bought everything in Yahoo just so that you could see how it was going to perform and, and compare it. I mean, that's, that's some serious forethought. forethought. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a, a fun little project. Uh, I felt really good about myself in March when the stock market collapsed. I said, "Oh, look, I saved myself hundreds of thousands of dollars here." And uh, you know, uh, but you know, at this point now, when things have run away, it's it it it's a gut check. It, it takes a, a a second to kind of take a look back and um, and see you know what you what what you've accomplished and if you're making the right decisions. And I, I like to do that as I pivot. You know, from one uh, career move to another, I wanted to make sure that I uh, was keeping track of, and you know, uh, keeping myself honest about if I'm, you know, I'm confident about this strategically, but in practice, is it actually paying off? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I warned you that it was probably going to be about thirty minutes, and I, I don't want to take up your whole night here. Um, but you, there's obviously a lot of information and a lot of we we did kind of get into the weeds a, a bit on some of these topics. But frankly, if, if people are interested in this, they, they will likely need more help. Where, again, where do they find you? What would, you, what would be uh, your recommendation for their next steps if this is something they want to pursue? Yeah. So if you head to my website at walltomain.com, I actually have an entire learning portal um, where I teach you about passive investing, but I also teach you very much about retirement accounts. And um, just on a whim the other day, I calculated all of the videos together on the retirement account side. They all add up to just under 30 minutes. So if you can find yourself 30 minutes of time uh, and you run yourself through, I think it's six videos, I will get you to a place where you feel very comfortable and safe opening up a self-directed retirement account and you can then go forward and make any kind of investment that you want. Um, Additionally, on my site, I'm currently offering a free PDF, the top 10 tips and tricks when investing with your uh, self-directed retirement account in multifamily. And in there, I provide all kinds of ways to avoid UBIT, uh, different um, you know kind of maneuvers that you can make uh, and ways that you can strategically invest with a self-directed account. Well, I really appreciate your time, Josh, and, and thanks for bearing with us as we tried to define and understand some of this terminology and how this process all works. I really appreciate it. And I hope you can uh, join us again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Love to. Thanks. We've put a lot of effort into providing useful content, and if you've found value in the show and have any interest in supporting us with a small donation, head over to patreon.com slash housedudes. And if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at info at housedudes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at House Dudes. And if you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps other investors out there find the show. And remember... Massive positive impact requires massive positive action. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by housedudes.com. Do you have time to actively manage flipping and rentals yourself? If so, go for it. If you live in a market that won't cash flow or don't have the time to do all the work, are you just out of luck? If there was a way to participate more passively, would that appeal to you? I'm sure you have questions about how the process works and what to do next. If that's the case, fill out the form on housedudes.com slash investors, and we'll reach out to see if you are a good fit for our business. This is first come, first serve, and we will have to stop taking applications when our goals are met. See you at housedudes.com slash investors. Absolutely. 
I don't like to tell a man what to do with his money, but if you ain't investing in property, then you're dumber than a dummy. I'm not dumb. I'm smart. Well, buy property. That's my advice.